You're listening to the MC Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture, coming to you from the campus of Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. I think it is completely reasonable to refer to the study, like with the author and maybe the year, and actually at the end just have a full reference list. So so either at the bottom of the slide put the footnote uh-huh. or say this from Journal of Voice 2012 okay. and then at the end have your full reference list. Okay. And in the script, should I... How should I do that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's how I would refer to a paper anyway. I would say yeah. the the Pygott 2019 at yeah. all from yeah. Journal of Voice. Yeah. You, you, know, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's how I would, that's how I would. Yeah, that feels more natural. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. In terms of that other question, where to put that? Yeah, that was just a note I made myself. <sighs> I mean, I, should I maybe start n- discussing it when I'm. Talking about the EGG. I would example? do it when you're talking about people defining things. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. To m- kind of come back to it. Yes. We did examples of. Yes. Do you have any of the team from France of the of the stuff of the Natalie Heinrich and the the Rombo stuff? That's the I think that's his name. The the like mode one, mode two defined stuff. So. Because that would really be good to have in there. Um, but you do have Herbstzweck, yeah. glottal configurations. Definitely talk about that article. Ha! Okay. Ah, how are we doing, ladies? It's Friday. Sarah, did you have a good lesson? Yeah, we talked a lot. We, we a never, lot we never, uh, we never record after your lesson. I know it's weird, right? Um, no, it was really good. We we got a lot of we had a lot of planning and just like kind of detailed busy work to do, and so we only ended up singing in the last ten minutes. But it's good because I mean at this point, like this is like finalizing Nats and recital are planning they and get stuff. Any yeah. Well, no, it's just like yes. we're, we're plowing through <laughs> the last few songs of my fr- of mine for my recital that like we haven't gotten to yet, and then yeah. when we finish that, I guess it'll kind of be going to looking at it as a whole so we're kind of in that weird place of like we only have like one or two songs that we haven't looked at yet but before we really start looking at everything i need to finish getting everything memorized and so yeah. it's just kind of this weird like getting close to all of that I like your eyeshadow thank you it's my color pop pigments and i love it love i love pop. it i'm obsessed we're big fans of color pop we are they want to sponsor us and send us if color pop would like to sponsor the vocal fry podcast we uh, happily do unboxings and talk about how much I love ColourPop because yeah. oh, I do. Oh. It's real. Unboxing day. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be like one of my little YouTube stars. Uh, we had a very interesting experience in class yesterday that I want to talk about. <laughs> do did, we? We actually talked you, about that. Did in my you talk? Because I, I played it for her last night. Yeah, she she. Was I, I don't know if you're ready to well. go public with that information or 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 or. or it's fine. No, it just not. is. So, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, so if you, it's going to be in Leah's. Lecture recital, <laughs> well, so I gotta get okay, okay with so it, let's, right? Let's reca- re- recap for our audience a couple of things. Okay, first of all, first let me say if you do not have Voce Vista Video Pro yet, and what you're using Voce Vista, I'm not sure what you're doing. Get oh, Voce okay. Vista Video Pro, order it from Bodo, Sigit.com, S-Y-G-Y-T.com. They can sponsor us too if they want. Because if you don't have the ability to throw frequency filters on your spectrograms, like you're... What a trip, friends. What a trip. You're missing out. Oh, I didn't realize that was exclusively part of... Yeah. It's it not was in not... Any, in, any of the, in any of the original Voce Vistas, yeah. that was not a thing you could oh. do. That is a that was a feature of overtone analyzer, but now that it's a multi-tiered program, gotcha. um, I like it. I mean, I'm glad to have it all. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, sure. I, I can't at this point. I can't imagine teaching voice pedagogy without the frequency filters. Yeah. Um, yeah. For exactly the reason we're coming to. So, and then to catch our listeners up on the fact that so Leah's we've been taking some samples for Leah's recital, her lecture recital on chess voice, 
and we took we had these ladies and and my spouse uh, just record some samples to sort of verify some some things that we already thought we thought and mm-hmm. they essentially are this is not don't consider this like a formal formal bench science study but we were using it to confirm that when they belted they probably had higher CQ. Sometimes. They <laughs> probably had higher subglottal pressure. Maybe. They probably, you know, the, these depends. kind of things. Their laryngeal airway I really resistance like to throw was a probably in anything I can. Right. Their laryngeal airway resistance oh, was yeah. probably yeah. higher. True. Uh, then in, anyway, when they belted, compared to when they mixed, compared to when they sang, yeah. we had them sing the same phrase of "Mama Who Bore Me." That big phrase of "Mama Who Bore Me." That's really good to teach belters. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Spring Awakening. The "Mama Who Bore Me." Da, da, well, anyway, um, it's on an A, mm. so it's very easily beltable. It's not a oh difficult yeah. phrase. Yeah. You know, anyway, so we had them mix it. We had them belt it. We had them mix it. And then we had them sing it like in their best classical singing voice, not even like legit musical theater. Like we had them like straight up classically sing it. And then we also had them sing uh, the Noturna Face phrase from Susanna Susanna's aria <laughs> from Le Notte di Figaro, uh, Act Four. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. I'm sorry, M- Mandy <laughs> was telling me yesterday that she had sung through the Susanna arias again, and I was like, "Sorry, that was in my brain." Um, so anyway, we had that's that phrase that goes down to the Noturna Face down to the A natural, mm. um, and uh, anyway. We had multiple interesting things that we can tell you about in a second, uh, that we should tell you about in a second. Well, let's tell you those first, since I'm thinking about it. <laughs> so that's where we've gone now. One of the really interesting things for me was that all three of you had higher contact quotient on Noturna Face than you did not just in classical on the Mama Who Bore Me phrase, but even in mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in mix, you had higher CQ when you actually dropped down to that lower pitch of that B flat and that A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when you were mixing down to D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in most cases, even in your belt. Yeah. I think one Might sample. Have been an outlier. There was maybe one outlier in that. But but no, all three of you, I believe. My yeah, my lower on the right. Notorna Face was higher higher than CQ my belt. than your belt. Yeah. Yeah. So all I mean, three of them, similar, all three of them, their CQ when they went down, just just dropping that far Which down in pitch. Which does reflect um, a McCoy article that I'm I'm citing. Okay. Um, the study he did with Robert Edwin. Uh huh. When they just took some samples of some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also found that not it's not necessarily true that you're always going to have a higher close quotient than um in belting than you would with classical singing right now that brings us to another very interesting thing which is our dear colleague over here to the right Uh who i will say is a very quality belter thank you and well i'll say a quality musical theater singer I'm just faking it all. <laughs> because I'm not sure that she's actually... I don't think belt is the term I would apply to your singing in general. I it is a type of mix. I am faking it all. And, um, I mean, like when she, for example, in our show last week sang Find Your Grail. Oh, no, that was not... I mean, it sounded belty, which was the point. Like, that is what I was going for. But there was... It didn't... It was not. Belty. Right. And what was interesting about her samples, despite the fact that from a perceptual point of view, her belt mix, classical, were all different timbral qualities, mm-hmm. certainly. I mean, they're very easily identifiable. Mm-hmm. And maybe they have some different resonance strategies, although the belt and mix are really quite similar. Right. It, yeah. It, mix is weird for me. I. It's th- a hard headspace well, to be in. Because I think that's your belt. If it's not, well, it just kind of depends yeah. on the character. Like when I sang some stuff from Light in the Piazza, I definitely, my mix felt very different from like when I belt in Summer in Ohio. Sure. Like, I have very different. And that actually. This is a little bit of a tangent, but this is just something, obviously I've been thinking about these things just a lot in my daily life. If you were to just go and like, like when you're teaching at the daycare, if you were to just start singing Twinkle, oh, Twinkle, I, Little Star, like what would you consider that voice that you're prayers. singing in? When I, let's see, because we sing our little... Because I consider that, Father, that's yeah. what I think of as my mix, which to me is the most, like I was saying, that's the most natural sound I 
can produce is just a light, heady mix. Uh-huh. When I sing in my little daycare, it is chest mix. Interesting. That's what you would define it as. That's how it, yes. That That is like where it falls. It, it's not like when I'm like really trying to belt and I put that in right. quotation marks. And for our listeners, I think we've been sort of, one of the things we've been looking at with this is trying to compare our our results to sort of this, the Caucus Jennings article from 2012 Journal of Voice on where they sort of define things as chest, chest mix, head mix, and, and head. Yeah, it all kind of falls on a spectrum. Like yeah. in the Piazza is much more of like a head mix when I think right, of that. Right, right. That's just me. That's well, This is not yeah. something I've trained a lot in. But sure. that... So, but that that basic attitude of it being about the character or the situation or the whatever, that's what when Lee Usselton did her dissertation on this with those Broadway singers, yeah. with those with those women, that's what they kept saying. They kept saying, I would determine this based purely on what the character is going through in the moment. Yeah. yeah. And I think part of that, maybe why I think of it like that is that's kind of how I taught myself to do all this right. was after studying, like after taking CCM ped, after mm-hmm. studying, taking acoustics in undergrad and stuff like I had read all that and I was like, okay, well, if I apply all this information from people who do this, how would, how should I then do this? And that, that is how it came out. And so what was very interesting is in Sarah's results, there's two interesting things. One is that her CQ (laughs) for her belt mix and (laughs) classical singing on the same phrase were nearly identical. They were all right about 35, 37% time of contact. If that's even what that means, there's some question out there. If you've not read the Herbst piece uh, comparing chalk with cheese, or I think that might be Herbst Feck as well. But um, you talked about this another time, and equally just caught us off guard. Chalk and cheese. Uh, cheese. All right. Anyway, but uh, you should read that piece. It was in Journal of Voice 2015, maybe. I I forget. We even asked you like, "Oh, where was it?" And you were like, "Oh, you know what? I think it's on the schedule to read for class later in the semester." Probably for next week, actually. Am I having deja vu, or did we actually have this conversation? Mm, I someone, think we did. Any, anyway, help. but the point point being, been here too long. But her CQ, <laughs> <laughs> I'm circling back around. <laughs> her CQ was the same for all of those, including her classical. Most of the lit says that for classical female singing, we would see somewhere between something like 25 to 35, or maybe upwards of 40 percent mm-hmm. CQ. Um, and it would say that for mix, it's it would fall somewhere in the 35 to 50 range. And what was interesting, and maybe it was just the fact that those pitches being D4 to A4 are all essentially in your lower middle voice sure. range. Yeah. Um, why and, would I sing them differently? And so <laughs> why would you sing them? Di- I mean, maybe I mean, they sound a, different. But maybe, yeah. yeah, they definitely sounded different. You definitely resonated them differently. Well, no and I question. did think of, I did. Is it possible that? I don't know, even even though we're telling ourselves like, okay, I'm going to now classically sing this line. Is there kind of like a mental block going I on? We're like, so. well, you know that that's not the how this line is supposed yes. to be sung. Yeah. Like you've heard it a million times belted. Well, and you I know? said, like I told you, like y'all both, you and Dr. Spivak both sang it, the line classically first. And I was like, I wish I had done that because it was really hard having just belted it and then done it in mix to like try to make myself sing it classical when I was like, but the other ways were, and I mean, it did sound like, I mean, just perceptually, I mean, of course, I mean, it still sounded classical, but it is interesting to think like, is that a true representation which is why I'm glad we did the Notturne and Face. Yeah. An even funnier thing about the perceptual thing, though, is when I played it for my wife, she went, oh, that's mix, right? Mm-hmm. For Sarah's classical? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I told you it was a hard switch to make. Uh, so that was that's another interesting... It, w- it would be interesting just to do it again, just to see what happened. Uh, but my weird existential crisis moment. So then we had I'm a weird existential now. crisis. This leads us back to where we started about frequency yeah, filters. Yeah, where do I exist? Okay, oh, so... We threw a frequency filter on and on Sarah's and we filtered out essentially noise from about 4,700 hertz or so up to about 6,000 and uh, maybe 45 up to 6,000. And we took out about that 1,500 hertz bandwidth and Sarah has a lot of energy that happens right about 5K. And uh, it no longer sounds like me. 
I mean, when I say it no longer sounds like me, I mean like, like it is if I walked into a room and heard that recording, I'd be like, who's that? And let's be very clear that there's definitely parts of things that we could take out of anybody's voice and it would sound weird. But you right. did it to, to Leah and Dr. Spivak's voice and their voices, while again, it, it did changes. sound different. Right. It they were still recognizable as our as voices. Each other. No, I this actually your... changed Sarah into all of a sudden a like... Different person. 37-year-old like lyric soprano instead of her wonderful soubrette self. It was very a lot like... I'm having to kind of put like a little mental wall around that information because we'll deal with it after it recital. W- that's the thing. Like, let me get through <laughs> my song. Like, I'm singing fine. I'm singing better than I've probably ever you sung are. right now. You are. And I'm, it, things are easy. Why mess with that right now? Nope. We're not just because I've seen this baffling. <laughs> we're not going to really mess with it right now. Trippy. Not me voice. Like who is that? Who is that person? Well, and I mean, even me, when like we took out my super singers format, my voice sounded different when, sure. we just, when I did that same phrase. Still sounded like you. You know, interestingly enough, which which something you hit on um, with your samples, though, going from one to the other, the other, mm-hmm. that same pitch range, you know, would sort of also be like the high, like baritone or tenor musical theater range, like mm-hmm. D to A, D, D4 to A4. Um and I keep telling guys a lot of the time, like when I'm training them in that that style, mm-hmm. most of the changes that I make from when I go to singing classically to singing musical theater are strictly just resonance choices. Yeah. I might I may choose to sing one more perceptually straight tone and then release into vibrato because it's musical theater singing and that's what you do. Yeah. But but most of the changes that I make there I don't feel are very laryngeal at all. Yeah, which we saw in, in mine for sure. Right. This mine is definitely a resonance. Like I, I changed some things acoustically and so it does come across all sounding very different, but I definitely don't feel like I'm singing any differently. Yeah, but the frequency filter on yours was just it that was, was weird. It was such a trip that it was like unnerving. It it is unnerving. As the person whose voice it is happening to, I can say it is a very unnerving moment to hear to literally know it's your voice like in a very like logical brain knowledge way i know that was my voice but yeah i can see how that would be very disembodying my voice yeah and then it was a weird like well what now like what do i do with that information do i do anything with that information it was like almost a black it's like the voice black mirror episode and right like now, we've written a black no. mirror episode right now, I will not about be frequency filters i don't think anyone else would be as scared of this information. oh my goodness we've done it we <laughs> have a black mirror script it's because i guess maybe and it's because you know it is a very personal thing like nobody yeah. else may be as interested in this weird moment as i am but the voice is i mean to an ex- i mean it's an extension of your personality but that's right. the thing like w- especially as singers we come to identify by it so much that yeah. this weird moment of my voice simply by taking this little bit out not being my voice well and i know Ugh. that and for a lot of us it's been kind of a journey to like your own voice <laughs> am i just oh, my third it's, it's or a fifth journey for most amps? people and what so yeah. That's just that, that's no. n- that's a normal part of the process. Yeah. I mean that's not yeah. new. Okay. Well anyway, that so that anyway, happened. it was a <laughs> and I guess if you really want to know about these things, we could post pictures or something or come come to Leah's gra- uh, recital. Yeah. Uh, or just I don't know, reach or out to us. Or message us or something. something. I mean, we yeah, can, we can certainly show you more. We it's can not, certainly show you more. It's fine. Like it's weird, but Anywho. It's weird. But it's also interesting. I just I really enjoyed I don't know, just finding out that we kind of all three, all three of our samples as women had that energy in that area, those levels that are the frequency range where you would normally see in a male singer's, singer's format. format. Yeah. And of course, we didn't have yes. that band. We talked about this. We yesterday. didn't have the compression of the, compression, the overlapping of the, of, of the energy bands in music theater. Right. But like that would not be a good thing, but we definitely had a strong obviously I had a strong amount of energy there cuz apparently it is my voice. Yeah. But I just think that's yeah. interesting. Would like to hear further. Well, and then like if well, and it, why not? We all had that. energy beyond. Yeah. And Matt range. Edwards posed an interesting question to me when I was playing that Ed- that uh Eden Espinosa sample. Yeah. He posed an interesting question of like so 
but this we know that on broadway the sound engineer is boosting the mid-range right and the mics themselves already boost the mid-range and he's heard from then from sound engineers working broadway shows that they're even further boosting the mid-range and so like how much perceptually that we're hearing in the theater is that yeah Yeah, like if we had their voice acoustically right what difference would we see yeah and is that something we're like i mean and and that is really how can we be sure of anything I will say Send getting help. getting <laughs> some of the these existence. getting some of these elite Broadway singers, women particularly, I think, in an like an anechoic chamber with some really great mics. Maybe not even in an anechoic chamber, just just in a basically sound controlled environment yeah. with some really great mics that are not that are with a flat frequency response. So you want your earth? What? Yeah, <laughs> I knew we were coming back to it. Uh-huh. But yeah, I just to it. I would just be interested to know, like somebody wants to give us a few thousand dollars to just look into this. We'll like, take is care that of it for typical? You. Is there a term for that? You yeah. just things like that. Okay, I wanted to get to another topic just today. Up our own words, yeah, because this has been a wonderful intro. But I wanted to get to another another topic for today. About a week ago, uh, <laughs> a dear friend of the podcast posted a post on an I- online singing voice teaching forum. Um, because they are having a graduate student redo my dissertation, which I would personally like to say desperately needs to be redone because they have the measurement device that I don't, and I just want to say that it desperately needs to be redone. And I asked the ladies to sort of read through the thread just to sort of see... Okay, which, what a task. You're like, um, could y'all just read through the thread before? before it's 189 comments. It is almost 200 comments to just... You know, casually read through. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. On our deal. Thursday night, during our Jeopardy watching, Jeopardy. no less. Yeah. That like, is I'm Jeopardy time. You can skim through most of it. Okay. Ask me questions. Um, Make snide comments. So, <laughs> for those of you who, d- I, we haven't <laughs> talked about this on the <laughs> podcast, but since this, like, what, 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 here's what shocked me. What shocked me about the post was that the post is essentially about nasal airflow. And, it, um... Uh, Dr. Howell shared a screen capture of one of his graduate students who had demonstrated higher nasal airflow, which on that system reads as nasalance, which I can define in a second. Essentially, the original nasalance measure was a measure of acoustic um, signal between the nose and the mouth as a ratio. Um and th- this one actually also is, is giving you a, a, a sense of airflow as well. Um, and is he did, he did with the new Glottal Enterprises system. But anyway, so he posted that. And of course, what was happening with this subject was that he and his teacher had been working towards them, um, you know, uh, not singing through the nose. But what was ending up happening was that in increasing airflow, he was actually getting the desired result of him having a smoother transition, and the perception was not nasal. Yeah. So this this sort of brings us back to 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 my dissertation, and it sort of reawoken this world for me because let me tell you something. I want to say this. In two thousand eight, when I wrote that piece. I remember my voice teacher who was co-chairing the committee with with someone else who um, was doing the human subjects testing stuff with me. I remember he he said to me, he said, this is going to undo 30 years of my pedagogy. And I literally thought people are going to think I'm psycho. Hmm. And it's funny because Dr. Howell commented to me recently that when he first read my read my (laughs) journal when he first read my journal of singing article in in 2013 um he said he thought it was shocking and the the uh, journal of singing article in 2013 is essentially just a reworking of my dissertation let me just say that so and if you want to read something please don't read my dissertation please read the journal of singing article it's so nice too that hasn't come out yet no, the old one. Oh, the old one. I thought you meant like... No, the 2013 article. <laughs> Never mind. Um, or maybe it was published in 2014. I don't remember. I've got to have it in the bibliography here. Twenty. It was published in 2014. I, I wrote it in like 2012. Um, anyway, 
Uh, so I will just direct you direct you to that. And I will also say, just to give credit where credit is due, my dissertation was really a reworking of a study that came out of Johann Sundberg's lab that is generally referred to as Birch et al. 2002, Journal of Voice 2002, um, and, and, and where they found that certain operatic singers did have increased nasalance as they traveled through Passaggio. That's essentially what they found. But they specifically found that for tenors, and they specifically found that it was true for ah. My dissertation confirmed that. We found that, generally speaking, the, 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 the subjects that I had sang with higher levels of acoustic mix, essentially, between the nose and the mouth, as they went through Passaggio, when they got to F and G, they had increased air nasal signal um, as, they, uh, as they went through Passaggio on the vowel ah. We did not find that for the other vowels that we tested, but we did find it for ah. Now, I've. It's funny that this post happened and that 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 there's being some work done on this. I, w I would also like to say, just as another caveat, to give credit where credit is due, Johann Sundberg and Brian Gill and Philippe Law have published a couple of things on this in more recent years, and one of the things that they found, and I want to read it correctly, so I'm reading it from a new piece that I actually have coming out, because I don't want to misstate what I'm going to say. They found that VPO can be an effective strategy at smoothing register transitions. Uh, they would m advocate for utilizing a moderate amount of velopharyngeal opening, which we usually abbreviate VPO, to navigate Passaggio because, because, and here's their reasoning, it attenuates the first format, meaning it helps to lower the boost of energy that the first format is giving to the second harmonic. It increases the level of high-frequency partials, meaning it gives you more singer's format, and reduces the risk of vocal tract instabilities. And Perna would like to say that he believes that all of that is true. One of the things that the nose does is it does help get rid of as much effect of almost all vocal tract resonances particularly those of the of the lower vowel resonances one and two um the singer's format bandwidth seems to here's the thing i don't think that necessarily what they found is that the singer's format band was being boosted i think that what they found was that the relationship between the singer's format band and the first format was more weighted toward the singer's format because it was not being negatively affected by the increase in nasal airflow. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I just said? Listeners, I hope that that made sense. Now. They'll have your article in what, a year? Okay, so this, this, this brings us to sort of what I wanted to get to. And that is not nasal airflow, but rather noise noise well think of the noise of your voice that we just listened to yesterday and that we set up mm -hmm. with uh, us being sort of having existential crises over yep. hearing our own voice yep one of the things that the sunberg the birch at all original study did and that there have been some other things that have tried to confirm there has yet to be a study that has ever confirmed that increased nasal airflow or increased nasal lengths, which is the measure of acoustic airflow in ratio, has ever shown in an expert listener rating to be what expert listeners refer to as the perception of nasality. Yeah. And, and I have a piece that I've written that Scott McCoy has said will be in next year's cycle of Journal of Singing in the voice ped column that I called nasality deconstructed. That's what I, I like the word deconstructed because about 10 years ago it was a very chefy technique to like deconstruct everything and put it on a plug. Yeah, like, like you'd like have a deconstructed hamburger you or watch, something. Um, if you watch Chopped or Cutthroat Kitchen, yeah. a lot of times like when they're trying to cover for, you know, these crazy meals because they're crazy I shows. I have a deconstructed like, grilled cheese. Yeah, this is a deconstructed taco and they're like, so you mean you have some lettuce and some ground meat. And a tortilla. And they're all separate. Mm, no, it's a deconstructed taco. This is a deconstructed French toast. Right. So 
This is sort of deconstructed toast. nasality. And I, I just want to read that what I started with. <gasps> Spoilers. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to read. So Dr. McCoy has, a, like I said, has, has, has said that this will appear in next year's cycle of Journal of Singing. So I, I you know, I, I have no reason to believe that's not true. Um, You're but not good I, at patience, are you? Well, because this, the thing is, I was not expecting even the post in the forum to get much attention. Yeah, it's just, it's so because pertinent right when now. Because when I went out, when I went out years ago and I was doing the presentation circuit with this stuff and I was doing, I did a poster for Voice Foundation, I did a poster at Nats National, I did a, mm-hmm. I did a presentation for Voice Foundation, you know, like I, I was out doing this stuff. I did a, then a presentation on this for physiology and acoustics of singing in Vegas. Like I was presenting on this stuff for a while. Up until about 2012. And um, nobody cared. <laughs> and I was just straight up, nobody cared. Yeah. I would also like to say, just backtracking a little bit, there have been voice teachers that have talked about this kind of idea that a little bit of nasal airflow actually might help smooth register transitions. As I understand it, and the people from this school would probably confirm it better than I would, but as I understand it, it was very much a part of Burton Coffin's teaching when he was Mm -hmm. teaching at the University of Colorado at Boulder, and perhaps some of those students in that lineage. In fact, I mean, Brian, really, Brian Gill is part of that lineage from through Dosher, and even Don Simonson, who was a student of 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 Burton Coffin, um, I, I believe subscribes to a little bit of this, but, um, so they all, and I, as I, as I also understand it, um, from Dr. Howell, apparently Cornelius Reed was onto this stuff also in the middle of the 20th century. So anyway, I I don't want to think that this information is uh, the idea that some nasal airflow would, is a new thing that Perna came up with. I mean, I did a study on it, but it's not like, you originated the right, yeah, right. Um, in fact, and this actually leads us into talking about the the the, the upcoming article. article. Sorry, I steered you away. The reason I started and wanted to do the study is because one of my teachers perceptually thought I sang extremely nasal. Hmm. And so, did you wanted to prove either that you did or didn't? Well, I didn't think that I because some people said that I did and some people said that I didn't. Mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of know well what was nasal and are people doing this? What are this? you hearing as yeah, nasal? Yeah, like what is it that people perceive? Yeah, yeah. which brings and you to the noise. Right, yeah. but the most disappointing part, like when I was dissertating and stuff, yeah. was that there was no agreement that this signal of a nasometer reading nasalance was giving any perceptual nasality. Yeah, yeah. So I start the article by saying this. If a sound comes through the nose and there's no voice teacher to hear it, <laughs> is it nasal? That's what one of the, it reminds me. I can't remember. There's so many articles, yeah, you yeah. know, jumbled in my right brain now. right now. But one of them like is talking about chest voice and belt and how there's so many different definitions and characteristics. And it says, you know, there's a quote that something like a term is only as useful as... Like if people agree on it, as you know, as many people agree that that's what yeah. it means, or yes. something like that. And I would like to say preliminarily, even before I go more into this, that I think that chest voice is a good comparison to nasality perceptually, because I think they're very similar in the fact that, as Dr. Hal points out later in this article that I cite. Multiple things have to happen in order for us. It's not just that the second harmonic is being strongly resonated by the first format. It's not just that. There are multiple things that have to happen for us to perceptually think that a sound is in chest voice. Let me give you a good example. I think there has to be an, for for a sound to resemble chest voice, I think that I'm coming to the realization that there has to be a certain level. I'm not exactly prepared to say how much or exactly what or whatever, but I think there has to be a certain degree of auditory roughness in the signal. Sure. Well, and we, I mean, you almost know that instinctively because you, I could. That is not resolving into the pitch. Because I remember, I mean, just growing up in high school before I even started thinking thinking about any of this i kind of have the hiccup sorry <laughs> um just w- wondering after 
like one of the first shows I saw on Broadway is Mamma Mia. And I sure. remember I was particularly wow. take, taken with um, The Winner Takes It All oh, yeah. at the end. Love that song, yeah. Very belty at the end. And I just remember, and like, it's so exciting, you know, like sure. that the sound that is being produced it's very is just different from different. the rest. And I was like, I can sing that note. I can, you know, like, why is it, but why does it not have that exciting, same, like exciting quality? And it's because I'm, when I'm thinking of singing that note, I was thinking of just like my natural head mix. Yeah. N- not. You yeah, know, which that doesn't maybe doesn't include as much quality, right. roughness, right? Noise. Um, you know, and in regards to that, actually, your samples on when they when you guys all sang "Noturna Face," mm-hmm. as soon as you went to that "oo," if we extracted that "oo" and just played the three of you doing that "oo," I bet that everybody would rate it as head voice. Oh yeah. They all, well, not as chest voice, despite the fact that the pitch is what is it? No, so it's C. It's despite low. the fact that it's a C four, I bet that that and and if we had you sing an ah in the same way, even with equivalent yeah. contact quotient, and again that that points to the idea that it takes multiple things. things. It's not just CQ. Mm-hmm. It's not just harmonic formant relationships. Mm-hmm. It's not just roughness. It's there have to be multiple things happening in order for us perceptually to go, that's chest voice. And I think that's my point with nasality. It's not just that there's nasal airflow or that there's... uh, you know, for example, my, my buddy Josh Glasner likes to point out that sound engineers will generally refer to mid-range sounds inherently as nasal. Mm. Mid-range, remember, to a sound engineer means 5K to 10K. Yeah. yeah. That they, you know, sort so of upper what we filtered out of your voice. And yet I've never had anyone come up and go, your voice is nasal. Or maybe they're all thinking it. Maybe everyone's thinking my voice no, is I nasal. Would never, I don't think I would. But... I but I have never gotten that comment. The only thing I would say about that is when we added the sound <laughs> back in and took it back out and kept doing it back and over and over again, I could see how someone would perceptually refer to that sound as nasal. Yeah. But again, because I never have yet to get that comment. I will say that in general, in Mata, if I just take a vowel and I increase the like the four to 5,000 hertz energy of, oh. of like what they were on, on that Nats chat referring to as low twang. It definitely... It, 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 it takes on a nasal, nasal character. Quality. Right. Um, okay. So let's, 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 let's define a couple of terms here. So we have nasal lance, which we've already defined as, mm-hmm. uh, as airflow or acoustic signal between the nose and the mouth. There is the word of twang, which often gets brought up in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Which, if you there's a YouTube video that we will point you to that is a recent Nats chat yeah. that is uh, on the internet that was a Nats chat, um, of course with with the ho- our host Kari Reagan, and then with uh, Carrie Obert and Chadley Ballantyne, and I want to point you guys to that Nats chat if you'd like to know more about Twang. Um, Carrie is sort of trying to redefine Twang right now, um, both physiologically and acoustically. They're trying. They're working mm-hmm. on redefining it they've sort of split twang uh joe estel used that term way back in the estel writings and she split it between nasal twang and oro twang um but carrie is sort of um writing it um from the perspective of that she believes that there is a pharyngeal constriction that happens and that uh, effectively that pharyngeal squeeze of the constrictor muscles is actually covering the piriform sinuses, which is what allows uh, that boost in higher energy to happen. Mm-hmm. The title of the Nats chat was Getting the Twang of It. Getting the Twang of It. Thank you. And that was just from this year, 2019. Yeah, very recent. Um, so that's very recent. There used to be a lot of thought about twang that it involved epiglottic constriction. People are sort of getting off of that mm-hmm. uh, bandwagon, I think, um, because it's sort of difficult to really just squeeze the epiglottic sphincter. It's sort of not really a thing that happens. Uh, whereas the pharyngeal wall is totally something that can easily be seen on a stroboscopy as being constricted. Well, and her other idea was the tongue that... Um 
some amount of twang comes from like a kind of a restrict not restrict well that's what she was saying the low twang comes from it was interesting it was interesting the videos certainly her her um stroboscopies would very much kind of support that right um i would say from the article when i when i talk about these things i i i I, I sort of like lead you through what all these different things are in the upcoming article that I have coming out next year. And then I say, you know, for example, I, in terms of V velopharyngeal opening, the, the chances are that the, it might be involved in nasality, but it itself does not produce a perceptually nasal sound. Mm. Twang produces a certain type of perceptual nasality, but not, to me, a twang is a very specific perception. Yeah, um, is, is sort of uh, is sort of the point that I get to. Um, nasalance is, you know, again, might be part of the perceptual puzzle, but is really not what is just producing a perceptually nasal sound. I also have a sort of retraction of my original work because the original nasometer that I used ended up because it had poles on the microphones that essentially took out other frequencies it ends up boosting frequencies of RF1 so all mm. of the first format zone ends up being boosted and I question that when there was that strong ah interaction of the second harmonic and the lowest vocal tract resonance of the first format. Yeah. I question whether the nasometer was inaccurately reading. So I, I'm not even so sure that my original data set is entirely accurate. And and I and I, I just I think it's a it's something we need to question. Just fun fact, yes. I I just remembered that in one of the art articles that I'm reading about chest voice and, and belt, and I think I think it's a Tracy Bourne like it's just it's based purely on perceptions. They interviewed voice teachers from like every continent. <laughs> um and um I just thought this was really interesting. Uh just they're asked to like describe, you know, the sounds, perceptual sounds of like belt and chest voice and that um voice teachers in the US <laughs> are <laughs> This is our This is our first. You? We got a voice teacher finish your thought. Um reluctant to use the word twang because it has such connotations of like country music whereas like all of the teachers that they interviewed from like Australia like all Australia and the UK are twang everything yeah like they all described it as twang I just thought that was funny just kind of yeah. interesting in fact anybody and it, I think that is partially though relative to the fact that Estel voice in general became very popular in both the UK and in Australia like it became like the teaching methodology of teaching like musical theater singers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I will say just one other just plug. Uh, Tom Burke, who's one of the New York musical theater voice teachers, has some very interesting videos on twang regarding farm animal sounds. I think he refers to it actually like, as like a cow, like no, like no, like like, like no, it's it, ah. no, it's like ducks and 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 that kind of thing. Can make animal sounds though. <laughs> But I will say, I think that video, he has it on YouTube. It's like one of his free videos. I think he refers to it as Twang Farm. If you like search Tom Burke Twang Farm, you'll, you'll find that video. Sounds like a dangerous rabbit hole to go down. So That's one of the things I wanted to point out is that I'm, I still do get contacted somewhat. Maybe I'll start getting contacted more frequently than I used to, but yeah, somewhat, somewhat regularly about whether I actually use this in my teaching or not. Mm. And I am hesitant to say no or yes, because every voice student I generally deal with from a unique perspective. That was a very nice non-answer. And I give <laughs> the student whatever it is that they need. I will say I am more inclined to use this tactic actually with my musical theater singers than I am with my classical singers. Nifty. 
there is no question that a little bit of nasality in the signal, uh, excuse me, retract, a little bit of nasal airflow. <laughs> You're editing yourself now. <laughs> retract. Trying, retract. To use, trying to use the right Delete. word. Delete. That Rewind. nasal airflow will increase the stability of the larynx. So when you're singing, you will have a... And, and I have a video on that thread, and I guess I could put this video on our social media. Um, I have true. a video of me taking this tube that sits right here. That'd be a nice Instagram video. Hey, I, I, I'll, like well, it's long. too long to be on Instagram. Oh, no, but I guess it could go to Instagram TV then probably now. No idea. Uh, anyway, I, I'll upload Instagram it on our social media. But I put it's it on the thread, and essentially what I do is I, I, I just do a pitch glide with the tube, with this long tubing, and I, I, the first time, I just try to bring out all the instabilities, all, all, all the different partials of the tube. You were nice and successful. And I was nice and successful with that. Then I do it once by just lowering my palate and basically singing you know, with a good bit of nasal airflow and, and oral signal. And I get, uh, I, I do get a reduction of instabilities, mm -hmm. but then I also do it once with a, what, with what I believe to be a fully stable larynx and I get no instabilities, um, essentially just in me doing a siren. I think that if we're talking about classical singing, at least, at, let me put a, even a caveat on that at least if we're talking about operatic singing, where our primary goal, in my opinion, yes, vocal beauty, flexibility, fine, is to be heard over an orchestra yeah. in, in a sizable venue without a microphone. I worry that there could be a negative impact to the overall acoustic signal with an increase in nasal airflow. Maybe. Need more research. Again, if somebody wants to give us just a few thousand dollars, we'll do here. all the research. We will do all if the research. Some Someone money. wants to pay us new salaries or something. I mean, we could, you know, create I a whole have second zero career. salary. So. But now, now leaving nasal airflow for a second, oh, yeah. register transitions. Any salary. I'm actually going to read the end of the insurance. article just to have these <laughs> thoughts out there. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to read the end of next year's piece just, just to have this information out there. The tree. Remember, I compared it to the tree falling in the mm -hmm. forest. The voice teacher being there to hear it. The no, tree yeah. fall. The tree falling in the forest is often the beginning of the philosophical debate of perception versus reality. The nasality construct may be the finest example of this in the singing realm, although chest voice I think works too. Voice teachers primarily deal in the reality of perception. Voice scientists can exist more in the convenient reality of measured results. If singing has been measured as demonstrating significant amounts of velopharyngeal opening or nasalance, and yet voice teachers do not agree that that sound that the sound of high or low VPO corresponds to higher low levels of perceived nasality, then the physical attributes of sound waves resonating from the nose or of increased airflow through the nose may not provide the answer to what nasality is. So this is where I'm trying to push us. The field of singing voice psychoacoustics is in its infancy. Dr. Howell sought to bring the singing voice into the field of music cognition and create a framework, blah, 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 blah. He's done, a, we've been talking about psychoacoustics for quite a bit yep. on this podcast. In recent yeah. correspondence about the psychoacoustic qualities of nasality, he pointed out the spectra of a nasal continuance such as NG will be a strong fundamental frequency with a steep roll off of harmonics following. This aligns with the idea of the nasal cavity attenuating resonances. In our discussion, he compared nasality to the construct of roughness, a subject he has written on in his article, Necessary Roughness in the Voice Pedagogy Classroom. Uh, roughness is a perceptual phenomenon that occurs when multiple conditions have been met simultaneously. That is me quoting him directly. This best describes my own current thinking about nasality. Nasality, this is perna, nasality is a percept that arises when multiple conditions, which have yet to be definitively determined, are met simultaneously. In other words, nasality is what I propose we call a voice construct. And then I say, here's to the tree falling in the forest and the voice teacher realizing that it only sounded nasal if they were there to hear it. 
Um, I would also like to add that in this article, I actually propose eliminating the phraseology nasal resonance. Hmm? I said good luck with that. The nose does litter little to amplify or enrich sound. So the idea of just, you know, and, 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 and the thing, you know, even if we go back to like re- reading Richard Miller, training tenor voices, uh, you know, people would often confuse this high ringing quality with mm-hmm. the nose, maybe twang. Yeah. Richard Miller even said tenors often confuse hard palate resonance with actual resonance out their nose because they're close. Um, so my point is, I would like to point us in the direction that it will take some music psychoacoustics cognition work to really truly determine what we are perceiving as nasality. But that nasal airflow can certainly help ease vocal tract instabilities and maybe help you sing smoother through your passaggio as a female or a male. If we're talking about that that, female primo passaggio. How much? Because, you know, so much of the post um, on Facebook and all that was all based around the male passaggio. And I was like, I wonder, like, does does it apply to women? Would this this help us too? Could this be a strategy? Blah, blah, blah. To be honest. But nobody asked it. And also, I feel like that that little, that thread did not need... (laughs) No. Any more, more comments. No. Well, this and I can always just sit here and ask you. This so. has been quite the deep dive. Uh, well, and, yes. and How badly are... did you just want to like post your article on that thread? That's what I'm thinking right now. I feel like this yeah. this is all a result of you just being yeah. like, oh my gosh, I could just I could just link it right here and now. Just yeah, right here. I couldn't do that. I know you can't, but um I feel like you wanted to. Part of me wanted to. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um anyway. I knew it. That's why we're talking about on our podcast. Yeah. Because this is our This podcast. doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> we need to go to lunch. Yes. Um, but wait. Wait. Go ahead. You know what's coming next week? Woo! Captain Marvel! That's what! In less than one week, Woo-hoo! we will have seen Whoa. Carol Danvers fly through space. This time next week, we will have seen Captain This time Marvel. next week, we will have probably our best clue as to any new information Whoa. pre-endgame. I am so excited. So, for those of you who have been waiting for what the pop culture time. podcasts, get ready, it's coming! Oh my gosh! We're also oh working gosh. on a surprise guest host for Maybe. next week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, we're going to try to Skype in a guest to- host uh, next week yeah. to talk about Captain uh, Marvel. Captain Marvel. So, uh, anyway, we're all gonna go see. It's gonna be amazing. Vocal fam, vocal fry, hang in there. Breakfast quick. Um, I got tired of frittatas, so I ate a bowl of pistachios. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it is okay. protein. It is. All I right. A- any takeaways? Uh, I did have two. I can only remember one of them. One was um, sometimes looking in the mirror can get trippy because we talked about that. And now I'm really mad because I can't remember the second one. I think the second one was actually Captain Marvel yeah. is next week, and I'm so pumped. Uh, my takeaway is happy Mardi Gras. Oh, ah, yes, happy yes, Mardi Gras, everyone. Yes. Fat Tuesday is Tuesday. Yes. And so uh, have yes. a good time. Uh, in case you're like, wow, that I never even thought of that. It's a big deal here in the South. Uh, sure the closer is. you are to New Orleans. Going to Mardi Gras this yes, weekend. I'm so excited. Hope we All survive. All right, we're going to go get some Indian food. Peace okay. out. Yay. Yay.